Welcome to 2021, or at least for me, I'm going to probably be calling it 2020 2.0. Because the fact is, is that just because we're in a different year doesn't mean that everything is entirely different than what it was before. Just crossing over to a different year doesn't entirely change everything, of course. But for the show today, the left is now changing the word amen, saying that it only refers to men. Ted Cruz is calling for an emergency audit, and it all comes down to January 6th. I'll be getting into that and more on The William Hall Show. So I just wanted to tell everybody that I'm very thankful for the support and just everybody that watches the show and has continuously supported me through this time as well. We're at a point in which the media is really, uh, we, we can't rely on them in, in any capacity whatsoever. They have now become a really the enemy of the people, exactly what Trump called them out to be a while ago. But on our first story here, the... Biden-Harris campaign on their website actually put up a small page and it says that they are trying to decriminalize HIV transmission. Now, what is actually happening here is quite interesting because their, their full statement says in 2018, 26 states in America had HIV exposure criminal laws. These laws perpetuate discrimination and a stigma towards people with HIV and AIDS. And there's no simple no scientific basis for them. As president, Biden will support legislation like the Repeal HIV Discrimination Act, which promotes best practice recommendations for states. Now, these best practice recommendations for states is really just the fact that they're going to say, hey, you cannot criminalize somebody for knowingly transmitting HIV to someone. Now, the reason why this is a thing is because AIDS and HIV are basically terminal illnesses. And of course, through the advancement of medicine, a lot of people can live with it uh, for a while. But either way, you're pretty much guaranteed to die early at, at the very least. And so doing that, uh, knowingly engaging in a sexual activity with somebody, knowing that you have this terminal illness that is guaranteed going to tr get transferred to this other person that you're doing these activities with is basically like killing them. And Really, the point here is that we, we're at this point where the, the left is trying to cover for gay people. I mean, that, that's really what this is about. I mean, the, the people that are primarily struggling with this when, when there was the AIDS outbreak uh, many years ago, that was primarily the, the audience for it. And, and what's happening is that anything that is against gay people or kind of draws attention to the fact that, hey, this is their particular problem mainly – and shouldn't be obviously practiced with other or wouldn't normally be practiced with other people. We have to go out of our way to make sure that they don't feel so hurt by this. And and but the, the issue that we're, they're failing to see here is that you're still basically committing some type of manslaughter, something that is dangerous when you're tr talking about transferring something as serious as AIDS or HIV. Um, the left has all of a sudden different rules though, when we apply it to COVID-19. Um, specifically, we were told on Twitter, I, I can't remember the exact username for the person, but they said that if you don't wear a mask, you're a murderer. 
that you should actually be sent to jail for not wearing a mask. Now, why in the world would someone on the left actually make that claim? The, the reason why they would make that claim or, or say that is because the left has an entirely different approach when it comes to COVID-19. They believe that the coronavirus is so serious that in, in those instances where you're just simply not wearing a mask, that you are, you effectively are responsible for the death of other people that maybe got COVID-19 from you. Of course, when you talk about the masks, of course, the left very rarely can actually explain all of the details involved with that because one second they're saying, well, the mask is actually there to protect you. On the other hand, they're saying, well, it's actually to protect other people. But they never know. It's hard to figure out exactly which one it is because the story keeps changing on exactly which side of the aisle that they're going to be on. And it really it really just depends on what's convenient for them on any given day of the week. So it all of a sudden, all of these things go out the window when it's HIV. This is the hypocrisy, once again, that you find the left engaging in. And it's displayed promptly on their site. Just because, it's basically, it's almost as if, if COVID-19 was strictly only affecting uh, gay people, all of a sudden, they wouldn't want to, they wouldn't care so much about the mask because that's a protected class. They, they wouldn't want those people to, to be singled out as, as people that are uh, disproportionately affected by COVID-19 and that most people never will even have it whatsoever unless they maybe engage in those activities or maybe some with way in between somehow in some other way. But the point is, is that the, the Democrats and their platform are entirely designed at basically putting people in danger for the sake of being woke, for the sake of protecting the homosexual behaviors. But the second that that virus or whatever it is is applied to everyone, then all of a sudden you're the murderer. Then it should be criminalized. So that that's exactly what's basically going on there. They they have no idea what they're trying to do because there's no consistency in the democratic platform. Everything that they are aiming to push into plays with policy or whatever it is that they're saying is entirely going to be dependent on who it's affecting and if they're part of that protected class or not, which is why it's extremely problematic. On Sunday, a representative named Emmanuel Cleaver, who is an ordained Methodist minister, opened the first session of the 117th Congress on Sunday, and he had something very interesting to say at the end of the prayer. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace, peace in our families, peace across this land. And dare I ask, O Lord, peace even in this chamber, now and evermore. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths, a man and a woman. Amen and a woman. Now, you're probably wondering, what in the world does that have to do with gender? And you would be entirely right in assuming that or asking that question. So first of all, this has nothing to do with gender. Amen has nothing to do with gender. First of all, it actually comes from Hebrew, meaning so be it. It has nothing to do 
with it specifically referring to a man or or excluding women in any capacity whatsoever. Just those three letters alone. I find it crazy that Democrats tend to just focus on those three letters, M-E-N, and equate that to somehow being automatically meaning man only, or that it's an exclusionary term. When in reality, they ignore the, the actual context or they ignore where the word came from and its origins and what it means. I mean, on the face of it, you would call anybody extremely ignorant if they thought that. I mean, maybe you looked at it, you're kind of a person on the street, kind of maybe referred to this or saw amen and thought, oh, well, maybe it's just meaning men in a general term or something. But the fact is, is that as a ordained minister, you would think that this guy of all people would know that it comes from Hebrew that has nothing to do with man or woman. This is why people often say in Jesus' name, amen. It's like in Jesus' name, so be it. It's kind of like the, his will be done kind of, kind of making that statement at the end of a prayer. And, you know, basically through his prayer, uh, which he also added in a bunch of Christian themes, terminology references. Uh, he actually closed it by appealing to the, to some other deities of many different faiths. And he was implying that they are basically all the same. This this kind of idea that there's this common God amongst all of these different uh, religions, which is patently false if you ask anybody. But of course, that's what they're aiming to do is that they try to set it out to be this unifying prayer where all religions can come together and we all worship a common God. And, and that's that's never been true. And, and you can only leave it to Democrats to put gender in absolutely everything that they come across. I mean, you would think in scientific terms, if somebody said if someone says uh, there's a specimen that we're going to look into that they're going to say, well, what about the special woman? I mean, <laughs> you can't have speci without a man or a woman. You have to put some type of gender term to that. You have to think about everything in terms of male or female. And, and this is especially rich coming from the same people that will tell you that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. Listen, if, if that is the case, the easiest way to debunk that entire thing is to say, well, define man, define woman. If there's no definition for either and either can be the other, there's no such thing as man or woman, which means why would you in the first place even care about what man or woman is in any type of word or what the gender is of anything? If it's, it's all meaningless, it's just a social construct, right? Democrats like that's usually what they kind of bring up during these times. This is also an attempt to secularize Christianity. In every single situation, you see Democrats trying to insert things that are just against God and put it into Christianity and pass it off as being this common good thing. Everybody must love it. Everybody must enjoy the, the same spoils and we all serve the same God kind of mentality. And, and it's just a, it's a, an entirely false lie. Everything that they are doing is to try and turn Christianity away from what it actually is and bring it into this weird mainstream thing where no one's offended. No one hears something that they don't like, that it's okay if you're on this side of the aisle as far as your religion or if you worship that God or this God. It's all the same thing. No big difference. It's it's kind of that old uh, all paths lead to heaven somehow kind of mentality. And, and it's, it is false. It's not correct whatsoever. Um, 
this also harkens back to a, a few things that I mentioned on the show before that the left likes to use language to change minds. I mean, ultimately that is their goal with many things. They've done it before when they talked about packing the court and here they go as well, changing the meaning of amen. The fact is, is that they're hoping that most people that are too ignorant to know it or know exactly what it is, uh, or know that it's not a gender term. They're just hoping that enough people will hear it and think, oh, well, that's this is the new progressive thing to do. And they'll just kind of pick up on it and believe that that's actually what that term is. It's not. It never was. You, you, The left always will try to use language to interject the woke ideals into Christianity, into our society, and into our culture. And just never make a distinction about it. They'll just say it and then just assume that enough people, if they keep saying it, It'll just make it true, and then they will change the minds of people. And that's why we need to be aware of what happens. We need to look these things up to make sure that we know what the actual definitions of these words are, because otherwise, we're just going to end up in the exact same situation as them. We're, we're ignorant. We don't know the difference between amen or any of these other terms. We're letting someone else define them effectively for us. So before I move on, just wanted to remind you that I do have a Patreon where you can support the show directly, and the show is also on Apple Podcasts for the people that would prefer to listen to it through the audio-only version. The so-called squad voted for Nancy Pelosi as the House Speaker. Now, that totally includes Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, AOC. They all voted for Pelosi. Now, they, they did the same thing back in 2019 during the speaker election, but they, it's weird that they went back and voted for her again. And, and the main reason why is because if you recall about a year ago, they, they had this big spat. They, they were kind of conflicting and butting heads with each other and all these things. But all of a sudden they're just coming out and just voting for her. Like nothing really happened. You know, it, it was always the squad versus Nancy Pelosi. And yet here they go now, obviously just changing that entire thing and just voting her right on in. Now, I don't know if that's out of fear. I don't know if they had it planned already, but it is just weird that, you know, after all of the objections they had with her, that they're just going and just going with the flow and voting for her again. And, and the other thing too, is that no one actually stepped up to even really challenge her apparently. So you had the, the, some people actually voted just as present, which is kind of just uh, an absent vote uh, where you don't really pick anybody in particular. Um, they voted present because they said that, well, they didn't like her, but no one else came forward. It's kind of weird that none of the squad came forward as Speaker of the House. Now, I, I will have to kind of see where that goes. I'm, I'm not exactly sure why that happened. And we'll have to kind of pay attention to the dynamic between the squad, of course, and Nancy Pelosi in the future to kind of see where things go. But kind of a weird one as well. So this week is an incredibly important week, specifically January 6th. But there's a few things and a few processes that need to happen um, that would basically allow for this week to end up in Trump's favor. Now, I'm not entirely sure if that's going to happen or not. We'll have to wait and see. But Ted Cruz and other GOP senators have signed a letter announcing their intent to vote against electors from disputed states until election audits have been actually conducted. Now, in his letter, Ted Cruz, along with 10 other GOP senators, have signed it, um, announcing that they will vote to reject electors 
from disputed states is not regularly given and lawfully certified until a 10-day emergency audit can be conducted in these states. Will they have enough evidence to get it done? We'll have to wait and see. But he goes on to say, we do not take this action lightly. We are acting not to thwart the democratic process, but rather to protect it, Cruz wrote in the letter, which was released on Saturday. The letter states that the 2020 election featured unprecedented allegations of voter fraud, violations, and law enforcement of, of election law and other voting irregularities, which exceed previous elections and must be investigated fully. Now, one of the biggest things is that we have to obviously prove this. Now, the Ben Shapiro's, few of the other people out there are going to tell you this isn't this is not valid that none of the stuff that he's saying has been proven whatsoever. Now, if you've been watching the videos, if you've been looking at the different posts, if you've been seeing the pictures and looking at the testimonials and the affidavits, you know that that is an entirely complete lie because there is proof of voter fraud. The problem is that just because the court doesn't want to hear it doesn't mean that it's not proof of voter fraud. The, the biggest issues that, I, once again, I feel like a lot of these people, and I have warned against this, and they are doing it, all of the people that are on YouTube, or at least a lot of them, that are these kind of elite Republican people, are effectively just going to say whatever they need to say to keep themselves from getting banned. Because if they say that there was actual fraud going on, they're, they're going to they're gonna have their videos taken down. They're going to lose their channels. And none of them want that to happen. And that's all they've been doing is that they've been on YouTube just kind of skating over the issue and have basically just been kind of, you know, walking around the bush with it, but they haven't been actually dissecting what's happening. So Cruz went on to note that Democrats have previously raised objections to the presidential election results in 1969, 2001, 2005, and 2017. The chair now hands to the tellers the certificate of the electors for president and vice president of the state of Florida. Mr. President, the objection is in writing, signed by a number of members of the House of Representatives, but not by a member of the Senate. Mr. President, I stand for the purpose of objecting to the counting of the vote from the state of Florida as read. Mr. President, I rise on behalf of the Congressional Black Caucus to object to the 25 electoral votes from Florida. Mr. President, thank you for your inquiry. It is in writing. It is signed by myself on behalf of my diverse constituents and the millions of Americans who have been disenfranchised by Florida's inaccurate vote count. The, is the objection signed by a senator? Well, Mr. Chair, Mr. President, I am objecting to, uh, uh, to the idea that votes in Florida were not counted. The clerk will report the objection. We, a member of the House of Representatives and a United States Senator, object to the counting of the electoral votes of the state of Ohio on the ground that they were not under all of the known circumstances regularly given. Signed, Stephanie Tubbs Jones, State of Ohio. Barbara Boxer, State of California. The objection today is raised because there are irregularities across this country with regard to voting. And we as a Congress have an obligation to step up to the plate and correct them. Mr. Speaker and members, I dedicate my objection to Ohio's electoral votes to Mr. Michael Moore, the producer of the documentary 9-11. First of all, we're here because not a single election official in Ohio 
has given us any explanation for the massive and widespread irregularity in the, in the state. No explanation for the machines in Mahoning County that recorded carry votes for Bush. Our people are dying all over the world. A lot from my state. For what reason to bring democracy to the far corners of the world? Let's fix it here and let's do it first thing out. Thank you very much. Mr. President, I object to the certificate from the state of Georgia on the grounds that the electoral votes were no not... Debate. No debate. President, I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina because of the massive voter suppression and the closing of voting. Mr. President, I object to the votes uh, from South Carolina because of the Russian intrusion. I object because people are horrified by the overwhelming evidence Section of Russian 18, interference in our elections. I object to a certificate uh, from the state of North Carolina based on violations of the Voting Rights no Act debate. and confirmed no hacking by the... I object to the certificate from the state of Alabama on the grounds that the confirmed and illegal activities engaged by the government of Russia uh, designed to interfere with our election and the widespread violations of the Voting Rights Act that unlawfully suppressed thousands of votes in the state of Alabama. I have an objection because 10 of the 29 electoral votes cast by Florida were cast by electors not lawfully certified because they violated Florida's prohibition against dual office holders. I wish to ask, is there one United States Senator who will join me in this letter There's of no objection? Debate. So the point is, is that Democrats getting upset or triggered that we're going out there and saying that they need to object to these to these uh, sort of these electors and object to the things and the results that they're showing is absolutely ridiculous. Considering the fact that for the past four years, none of them accepted Trump as president whatsoever, and even back then and before that, they have done nothing but fight against the electors at the time when it came to certifying the votes. So something has to be done on our end, mainly because we know the rules changed. We know that the machines have changed votes or didn't have a certain amount of votes in that cards were missing so much stuff that seems just weirdly out of place. This is an unprecedented election, mainly because of the fact that a lot of the stuff that we're seeing is very different than what it's ever been in our history. This is the first time that a COVID-19 uh, or that a virus this big kind of came out of nowhere and swept everybody off their feet. And then all of these states started changing their rules to allow it to be so much easier for anybody to turn in a ballot and do whatever they want it to do. And, and that is the problem, is that the rules changed. And yet we're going to sit back and say, oh, but fraud, fraud, there's no fraud. At least that's what a lot of the mainstream conservatives are saying, of course. There is fraud. And, and the fact is, is that even if there wasn't any fraud, I guarantee you that Trump would still win by a landslide if we were to actually prove the cutoff date and make sure that ballots had just simple signatures on them. Simple, simple, simple things about following the rules that have not been resolved yet because the courts have either refused to do anything with it or it just hasn't been brought to them properly yet. In 2016... Leftists and the mainstream media lobbied for people to protest Donald Trump and his election by having state electors vote against him. I mean, that is exactly what they have done. And yet, of course, they're going to they're look at us and they're going to say, well, you're not allowed to do that. 
you're not allowed to do that because look at the results. Just trust the results. Now, there are they were obviously upset in 2016 when Hillary won the popular vote. They were the ones trying to get rid of the Electoral College, believe it or not. And do understand, Republicans aren't trying to get rid of the Electoral College. Republicans are simply trying to get a fair vote. There's a big difference. And senators have the right to object the results, or at least the electors. Um, that is a part of what the process looks like. And we can beat around the bush all we want, but Republicans are not trying to abolish the Electoral College. That is what the Democrats have wanted to do. But Republicans have primarily won elections based off of the Electoral College, not off of the popular vote. If I recall correctly, uh, there's only been about like one election where a Republican actually won based off of the popular vote. Most of the time, it was off of the Electoral College. So we're not trying to get rid of that. We're not trying to undermine the institution, as Ted Cruz has actually mentioned here. What they're trying to do, what we're trying to do, is just figure out where the fraud was and determine the exact amount of votes. That's really all this comes down to. So basically, all of this comes down to January 6th. That is the date that is most important in, in this week and probably in the last month. The rules for how things are going to go down, I will be getting into in a second. But first, we need to understand that the presidency is decided in the House of Representatives and the vice president is decided in the Senate. So, U.S. Code does allow for Congress to object to electoral votes. That's their right. They have the ability to do that. They've done it before. So first of all, right off the bat, this is nothing new. Okay. So here's how it works. An objection needs to be in writing and signed by at least one Senator and one, uh, one representative. Now that's going to be easy because we already have plenty of senators and plenty of representatives in the house that are willing and said already that they're going to object. So, that's not going to be an issue. We already know that there's going to be objections to this on January 6th. After there's an objection, the two houses will then hold separate votes on whether to accept or reject. So at this point, they're basically trying to figure out wh whether they're going to accept these results overall or not. And, and it's, I'm assuming it's going to go kind of by case by case basis, depending on the different things and the different reasons why they object. Now, as far as my understanding goes, there's not a science to this. There's not a specific thing that qualifies an objection as valid or not valid. So we'll see what happens with that. But the main thing is that we just need one senator, one representative to actually just put in anything uh, as an objection at this point. And we have plenty more than that coming up soon. So if there's a split decision, which would basically mean that the house voted one way and the Senate voted the other way, the objection fails and votes are counted as originally cast. So it would just kind of go through as is from there. The typical electoral count continues. If a candidate gets a majority of votes at 270, then he or she officially wins as we already know. So, if nobody has a majority during the electoral college meeting, which basically would mean that um, the objections basically are so vast that that effectively there's not enough for either candidate to get 270 votes, the vote will go to the House of Representatives, which each state getting their own vote. Now, this is where things become actually quite good for Trump. So, like I said, just to kind of recap to go over what's going to happen here or what could possibly happen. 
if there's if the objections basically are if there's enough objections that they aren't able to get Biden or or Trump up to or specifically Biden up to 270 votes, then the vote is actually going to go to the House of Representatives. But because Democrats have a slight lead in the House because they lost a few seats during the uh, past election, but they have to vote by state and by state based off of the actual representatives and the states getting a set certain amount of votes, we actually, as Republicans, have the advantage there. We have the majority when voting by state. So in that instance, Trump will win, or at least possibly will most or most likely win. But like I said, these are a lot of steps here. There's a lot of steps that need to go in a certain line of progression and need to go exactly our way for it to work. Now, I've seen a lot of stuff about Pence being able to do something as far as I know, all he's basically doing is effectively just presiding over the meeting. He's not the person that is really deciding exactly what he can and cannot do. I mean, he could stand up there and just refuse to do his job, but his job is to accept what's there, not to basically call any specific objection himself. So whether Pence will stand or fall or how he's going to behave during this entire situation, I don't know. Um, he's clearly aware of the fraud, but we'll have to wait and see what evidence is brought forward on January 6th. Now, uh, Pence did make a statement literally just today. I just had it up here. Um, basically talking about the, 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 what he's actually going to do as far as objecting, um, or, or what January 6th is and the importance of it. So the statement straight from him says, we've all got our doubts about this last election. I share the concerns of millions of Americans about voting irregularities. I promise you, come this Wednesday, we'll have our day in Congress. We'll hear the objections. We'll hear the evidence. So now I don't know if Pence knows something. I don't know if he's kind of ahead of the game on this one or not, but he is clearly aware of this. So I don't think this is going to be a matter of him needing to reject everything he hears uh, if they if there aren't enough objections or whatever it is. But this is really on the senators. Bring the evidence forward. Bring everything you have. Because January 6th is the day we're going to have to keep a very, very, very close eye on as far as trying to figure out what's happening and what's going to be happening next. Now, there's also a new video that shows Dominion's Eric Coomer admitting that the voting machine systems are wireless and support all networks. Handle everything currently digitally. This is our digital adjudication system. If you have multiple ICCs, ImageCast Central's running, they all write the data to a network drop location, and you can have multiple adjudication stations for multiple teams to handle the outstack ballots. This is a typical voter intent issue, where they didn't fill out the ovals completely, they just made little tick marks. Um, it's what's called an ambiguous mark. And what we're saying is, we're not sure what the voter intent is, but we're going to allow the adjudicators to make that call based on any kind of state statutes. So right on the screen, I can go ahead and say, you know what? The voter meant to mark those. They wanted those votes to count for those candidates. I can do the back page. I'm not going to fill all of them in here. And then I hit complete. It's going to go on to the next ballot. And this is another classic one where the voter has circled the names instead of filling in the ovals. Any ballot that needs to be looked at will show up automatically on the screen. Um, some key things here. Uh, this, is a, this is a great tool for doing things like audits and recounts. Uh, 
Okay, so things like 5% recounts these days. We have an entire uh, additional system that, that works very similar to the adjudication project, product, but it's for reviewing uh, ballots. So you can select whether you want to filter by precinct, a random selection of precincts, or just a random sampling of ballots across the whole election to actually audit. Um, we're doing that to support things. Uh, the buzzword in the industry these days are risk-limiting audits. Um, it's a statistical way of, of auditing election results. Um, and we can support that through this system as well. Now, the reason why this video is extremely problematic for Dominion, the voting system, is because they told us the exact opposite. They told us that there's no way that anybody could get access to these machines through the network, that anyone could get access wirelessly through these things. That's not possible. They're not open to that. Well, at least according to the person that is the responsible for their strategy and security, which is a pretty important role, that isn't true at all. And, and that's straight out of the horse's mouth there. The, they were never going to admit that their voting machines had a vulnerability. Why would they? I mean, their company would lose millions and millions of dollars overnight. They'd never be trusted in elections again, and their entire plan and business would go underwater. They, of course, they're not going to admit it. I don't know why people expect them to just come out and say, hey, you, you got us. These could have been hacked a mile away. These had access to the internet. Who knows what happened? There's no way that they would have said that. Why They have no reason to do so. They obviously kind of have, have a uh, monopolistic hold on voting systems out there. Why in the world would they shoot themselves in the foot on purpose? They'd have to be forced to be shown the, the actual evidence behind it before they'll actually ever admit it whatsoever. And obviously there's almost no way to confirm exactly what happened. You know, the whether it was a network breach, a lack of cards being uploaded... There's been several things that have been proven to be the case. It might be a multitude of factors, but either way, this obviously doesn't instill any trust in these particular voting machines. And it's probably too late at this point, unfortunately, for this video or this evidence to have any effect because we're so close to January 6th that, you know, we're still seeing all of these things. And I, and I suspect well after January 6th, well after January 20th, we're going to continue to see videos and evidence showing fraud and other things like that. And it doesn't matter how clear it is. The process has already hurt us. It's already messed us up. We're already too far behind, unfortunately. And obviously at the end of the day, we have to hope that these things make a difference. That, that's, my, that's my hope, is that the things that we actually are seeing come to light in a way that's so clear and obvious that the people that are responsible for these machines get, get tried, these things get taken out of these voting places that they're never used again. But the chances of that happening, who knows? I hope for the best. We'll see what happens. But once again, there's so much evidence coming out now, and it's so close to the kind of day of reckoning on January 6th that I fear that there may not be enough there um, or it's kind of a sense of too little, too late at this point. We should have known a lot of this a month ago. And yet here we are finally figuring out a lot of stuff. And I don't think it's going to stop. I think we'll be finding stuff out till later in the year. And we're going to be sitting back there kicking ourselves, wondering why we didn't find it sooner. So either way, I hope for the best. And 
January 6th is going to be an, an interesting day. Um, I will definitely be covering the big events that happened that day as we really kind of find out what's going to happen to the future of our country and if there's any senators or representatives that still have a backbone left. So I thank you for watching and I'll see you on the next one. You just watched an episode from the William Hall Show. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe.